Welcome to the Careers, Employability and Skills podcast from Queen's University Belfast. This episode was recorded during a Creative Industries Employer Panel featuring Jamie McRoberts, a developer at Retinize and award-winning immersive media studio, Tim Bryans, the co-founder and managing director at ALT Animation, Sean McCafferty, the COO at Hypixel Studios, and Rebecca Davis, who is a freelance filmmaker, and is hosted by Emma Lennox from the Queen's Careers Employability and Skills Department. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the Work Experience Placement Fair at Queen's. It is lovely to have you all with us today. We really appreciate you coming to join us. We are going to look at the Creative Industries Employer Panel at the moment. We have four people with us. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to go through and have a quick introduction. So my name is Emma Lennox. I'm one of the careers advisors. She works here at Queen's. And I work with the School of Arts, English and Languages and with the Creative Industries. I would like to then introduce Jimmy, over to you. Hi everyone, my name is Jamie McRoberts. I am lead developer at Retinize and we are an award-winning immersive media studio based around the corner from Queens, but working with clients all around the world on VR, AR and interactive installations. Hi everyone, my name is Tim Bryans. I am the co-founder and managing director of Alt Animation, uh, animation studio based in Belfast. Hello folks, uh, my name is Sean McCaffrey. I am the COO of Hypixel Studios. We're developing a game called Hightail in Derry. Um, and we've just kind of passed 59 million views on our announcement share. There you go. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Rebecca Davis and I'm a freelance filmmaker. Um, I graduated from Queens in 2015 with a degree in film studies. And at the minute, I'm trying to progress as a writer and director. So I've directed several fully funded short films. And at the minute, I am working as a trainee director and shadow director across a variety of projects. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, we're going to catch up with you shortly. OK, um, I'm going to take you through what we should be getting out of this session. OK, so guys, we'll chat to you in a wee minute. OK, so this is the plan for the session. We're going to chat to each of the, um, the employers or the, the panelists individually. We want you to, by the end, know how to get started in the creative industries. What these guys, these are leaders and what they're looking for in a recent graduate, how you can be adaptable within the creative labour market. And then we're also going to talk to Rebecca and we're going to ask her about the career journey of her as a recent Queen's graduate, what she did before and what she's doing now. OK, so the first person we're going to chat to is Jamie. Is he about? Jimmy, there he is. Sorry about that. <laughs> You're fine, Jimmy. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background and some of the clients that you've worked with? Sure, yeah. Um, so I actually uh, studied uh, film studies at Queen's University, so I guess it's, I should start there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, from, from the film studies degree, uh, then I went straight in to do a, a PhD also at Queen's University, um, but this time the, the direction changed slightly. Um, so it moved away from film studies and into the world of immersive and interactive design. Um, and yeah, that was an amazing experience for me. You know, it was it was part practice, which meant I, I got to create a little, um, but it was also obviously part thesis as well, um, which meant that I was able to kind of research a cutting edge or an emerging technology um, and feed that into my practice as well. 
Um, so yeah, I would, I would highly recommend the, the PhD program. Um, from then, I uh, after I, I graduated with my PhD, I sort of took a bit of time to, you know, do some freelance work. I also lectured at Queen's in, in the film department as well, um, and, and did a bit of youth arts work as well. Um, and then finally, the, the kind of ideal job came up for me, um, which is at Retinize, uh, but it was actually in the form of a, a knowledge transfer partnership or a KTP. Um, and for those of you that aren't aware, uh, a KTP is basically a, an Innovate UK program that uh, places a, um, a person a, in a university, but they actually do most of their day-to-day -day work with a, a startup or an SME, a, a small medium enterprise. Uh, and the idea is that they kind of transfer their their research into the the business to try and improve the prospects of the business. Um, so yeah, I would I would highly recommend checking out uh, the KTP programs on the Innovate UK website as well, because there's literally hundreds of jobs there uh, across the UK every year. You know, with a good salary, with good training opportunities, and and you get, you get to work on some really exciting stuff as well. So, that takes me up to kind of now. Um, I'm lead developer at Nice. Um, when I joined the company, they had built quite a strong um, reputation developing high quality 3D, 360 uh, virtual reality, what we would call cinematic virtual reality, so a sort of filmed virtual reality. Um, and they had been working with clients like uh, Save the Children, for example. Um, you know, so the kind of work that they did was uh, they would go out to, for example, Nigeria um, and film the experiences of, of, of some of the Nigerian people and some of the sort of hardships that they were facing. Um, and that project actually ended up being a, a, a focal point of Save the Children's fund, fundraising campaign, which raised over £350,000. Uh, and the film subsequently won a, a, a Golden Dolphin at Cannes as well. Um, but when I joined, my remit was really to try and develop the interactive virtual reality side of the business and the augmented reality side of the business. Um, so I developed a few workflows and we started to work with um, some other clients, for example, Eurostar. We created the world's first sort of in-train virtual reality experience, um, which was mainly aimed at kids. But the idea was that they could put on the virtual reality headset and experience a kind of imaginary underwater world as they were uh, traveling under the Euro tunnel. So that was pretty neat. Um, and then another example would be like, uh, we created a project with Seagate, um, which shrinks the user down to a nanoscopic level and allows them to sort of explore the inner workings of a Seagate hard drive. Um, and that's been used for their STEM outreach across the world uh, and was, you know, central to their CES uh, 2018 stand as well. Um, and yeah, now, I mean, my day-to-day -day work is, re is mainly in research and development. Um, within Retinize, we're trying to develop a, a revolutionary animation software project uh, or product, um, which we're actually hoping to, to roll out to, to Queen's as one of the first early adopters um, this coming uh, academic year. Um, so yeah, I mean, my, my job's mainly kind of engaging creative work, but also, you know, really head hurting technical work as well. Um, <laughs> but as I say, like every day's a school day, you know, so we just keep learning and keep kind of trying new things and keep innovating. Um, but yeah, I guess that, that kind of takes me up to, to now. Um, I guess from, from the time that I started uh, working in the industry over here to, to where we are at now, I'm seeing a lot more jobs uh, within the creative industries. 
Um, and I'm seeing a lot of like interesting stuff going on with NI Screen, um, but also with, with Queen's University and Ulster University, for example, the Future Screens uh, initiative as well. So I think it's a really positive time to be, to be graduating um, within a creative discipline and uh, especially in Northern Ireland as well. You did mention there very briefly, but you actually have a PhD in immersive and interactive storytelling. Now, how on earth did you convert that to the job market? Where did you go from there? <laughs> yeah, you um, I mean, yeah, I mean, the PhD was an amazing opportunity. I think at the stage that I graduated, I wasn't quite sure what the next step was. Um, and this this PhD came came with a stipend, which uh, is basically like a kind of a, a small salary, but something that that allows the the student to kind of focus on their work. Um, so it was it was great for me because it was the first time in my life I'd actually kind of been paid to do what I wanted to do. Um, so that was great. Um, I think like in terms of converting the PhD into, uh, you know, expanding career prospects and so on, uh, I think first of all, like from a kind of superficial level, being able to go into, you know, job uh, applications or, or in the interviews and, and say that you're, you know, a kind of certified expert in a particular subject, you know, it does carry a lot of weight. Um, but beside, besides from that, um, I think that there were a lot of skills that were gained that kind of strengthened me and, and strengthened, you know, how I could go into a, a job interview and, and kind of convince somebody to hire me. Um, and that, but I think that these are general uh, things. They aren't sort of specific necessarily to the PhD. You know, that they kind of cut across master's degrees, even, even undergraduate degrees as well. I think that there's plenty of um, you know, plenty of things there that, that can carry across. So I think the, the first thing that it taught me obviously was was how to research. Um, but I think that that's important and that has currency in, in this kind of modern work uh, ecosystem that we have because a lot of companies are interested in innovation. They're interested in research and development. So if you can demonstrate research skills, I think that that can be very attractive to the potential employer. Um, so yeah, even if it's an undergraduate thesis, um, you know, think about what are the emerging areas. You know, what is the cutting edge like, and and is there an opportunity to kill two birds with one stone, where you can get a really good mark in your assignment, um, but you've also got a body of work that you can actually bring through into uh, you know into kickstarting your career. Um, I think the the other thing that it taught me was was communication, both written and verbal. Um, and I think that that's 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 important. Um, it kind of forced me to to conquer a fear of public speaking. Um, but all all that was was just you know kind of if there was an opportunity to speak publicly, I think you should just grab it. And even if you're a shy person, you know you can absolutely do it. Um, but probably the most important thing uh, that the PhD taught me uh, was was how to like present information, how to package information, uh, and thinking about thinking about how you're speaking, but thinking about how you're you're presenting, for example, written documents or your portfolio or your CV. Mm -hmm. You know, think about layout. Think about, you know, obviously the relevant information to include, but also can you exclude stuff that that isn't really relevant to this job? Because I think what you want to do is you want to give yourself the best opportunity to kind of have impact. You know, to to present what you have to say in the best way possible, um, and I think that that really goes a long way. Kind of now sitting at the other side as an employer and as somebody that looks at a lot of CVs, uh, uh, you know, a lot of job applications, you can really see a a real difference between the people that have kind of, you know, thought about how they're conveying their self and their work and their skills, um, and that's to me is is really attractive whenever I see an application like that.
So it's being selective and not including everything since primary school, including your 50 metre swimming badge, <laughs> yeah. your crossing the road badge, don't include that sort of stuff, no? Well, I mean, unless, that, <laughs> unless that's relevant to the job. That's directly right? relevant. <laughs> yeah. um, um, you've, worked, you've worked in a variety of different industries, so you've worked in different roles. Um, do you think it's better to specialise in one particular area, or do you think it's better to keep your interest broad when you're, just whenever you're starting out in your career? I mean, I guess the short answer is both. Um, but to, Brilliant. To, <laughs> I mean, to be a bit more specific, um, I would say that, you know, the creative industries in Northern Ireland are comprised predominantly of, of SMEs and kind of startups and, and a lot of freelance as well. Um, and, and in that context, I think that um, being a, a multi-skiller, as we would call it, um, is important. You know, if, if, if someone can, can, I guess, hire you to do X, but you can also do a little bit of Y, then that's that's great. That makes you a little bit more valuable. Um, that being said, though, I think that you need to consider what what is your ideal role. You know, do a little bit of kind of five-year plan, you know, five-year career goal. Like, what, what would you like to be? Would you like to be a video editor or a costume designer or a game developer or or whatever it is and, and and whatever that thing is that really excites you and that that you think there are opportunities here um you know to get employment in that area then you should absolutely focus on you know gaining specific skills in that area you want to make sure that going into a job interview you have better skills than, than the next person and that you also have a you know a, a more fascinating compelling showreel or, or portfolio mm -hmm. uh, to support that um but yeah, so I think first thing is, you know, hone your craft and, and get really good at what you want to be, um, but also spend a little bit of time around the edges of that, researching and, and upskilling yourself in, in related areas. Uh, like to use an example, um, if, 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 if being a video editor is your thing, you know, also look into color grading, look into to VFX, look into, uh, you know, a little bit of sound editing. And, and you don't need to be an expert in all of those things. But if you can go into an interview and, and talk a little bit about it, I think that it demonstrates a foundation that can be built on. Um, but it also allows you to communicate with, with different people that will be involved in a project or a production. And I think that that's super important. Um, you know, certain roles come with their own their own language, their own terms, their own processes. Mm -hmm. And if you're a complete outsider, that can be quite intimidating. But if you have a little bit of knowledge, then it means that you can collaborate with those people on a much, um, you know, a much more kind of precise level. Um, so I'd say like, I guess to summarize, I'd say, you know, spend 75% of your time specializing in, in the job and the career that you want, but maybe spend 25% of your time, you know, reading around, researching mm -hmm. around, having a play, you know, doing a couple of hobby projects in, in, in some related areas as well. That's a really nice way to put it, actually, the way to split your time. I quite like that. Um, I'm going to see in the future, just letting you know. Um, Jimmy, thank you very much. Um, we'll grab you back at the end again, if you don't mind. Um, but thank you for your, your insight. No problem at all. Lovely talking to you. Lovely talking to you too. Um, the next person we're going to chat to is Tim. Um, if Tim is a vice at the moment. Um, Tim, do you want to come and introduce yourself quickly? Uh, yeah, um, first of all, I'd say, unfortunately, I'm experiencing a few technical difficulties, so my video might, uh, I dropped out quite a few times during there, so apologies in advance. So a lesson about the creative industries is that technology will often let you down at the time. <laughs> um, and just to say that was a, a great talk by Jamie there. I think that's, that's going to be a hard act to follow. Um, I think that was really, really eloquently put, a lot of great <laughs> points. 
Um, but yeah, um, my background, I'm, I'm actually a, a graduate of Queen's. Um, I actually studied geography, believe it or not, a uh, classic case of somebody who had very poor careers advice and was a little bit rudderless um, when they left university. Um, but I had a lifelong passion in animation and I always really, that was really the, the, the career trajectory I wanted. It just took me a little bit longer to find it. So I, I um, <clears throat> essentially I went to Edinburgh and um, studied a master's in multimedia and kind of came into animation in a very convoluted way. Um, and essentially back then there, there wasn't an animation industry to speak of in Northern Ireland. Um, I traveled sort of, I, I lived in Canada for a year and got some experience in the industry over there, but not very much because I was very inexperienced, but I came back to Northern Ireland and there was one animation company uh, called Banjax at the time. And I, um, was fortunate enough to get a position at Banjax, which I kind of just, it was, it was really, <laughs> it was through sheer um, determination and not taking no for an answer, which isn't always the right way to go, but just that's kind of my experience. Um, I'll try and caveat that a bit as I go. But yeah, I, I got my break with a company called Banjax. Um, I worked my way up. I quickly realized I wasn't a good enough animator to compete with the real animators. So I kind of um, took a sidestep into production management and into ultimately producing and um, so at Banjax, we produced a 52-part series called Lifeboat Look, which was the first ever animated series to be produced and financed entirely on the island of Ireland and actually worked with Kevin Beamers, who I believe is coming up in, in the talks next. Um, we worked work with him on that project going back quickly, about nearly about 15 years now. Um, and from there, I really worked um, in animation and in games design for a number of companies. Um, I was head of production at a company called Flickrpix based in Hollywood, Northern Ireland. Um, and I was also head of production at uh, 16 South. So I've worked for broadcasters all around the world. Um, I've produced uh, series such as, um, well, work with, work with talent such as Billy Connolly and Stephen Fry. Um, and worked for broadcasters such as CBBC, CBBC in the UK, PBS Kids in the US, uh, Nick Jr. at Disney Channel. Um, and so ultimately what happened about five years ago, I decided to take all of that experience and with a couple of colleagues, we, we set up Alt Animation um, as a company that would essentially try and do things a little bit differently and try and um, create a company that was you know, ALT are the initials of um, the, the co-founders, um, Andrea, Lee and Tim, but we also wanted to be a little bit of an alternative and that we wanted to make a company that was fun to work with, fun to work for, um, and we've been very successful so far. Um, we've been developing projects, uh, we're, we're currently co-developing projects with uh, uh, companies in countries such as Canada, Japan, Norway, um, Finland, um, and really we're, we're trying to take our, our projects you know develop them here in northern Ireland, and take them around the world um so that's really where we've got to um i say i'm here to sort of talk about leadership but leadership's very much something i've i've fallen into um it's not something i would say that i've really i, I would ever say at school if if there was somebody going to be voted least likely to be a leader it would probably have been me i was painfully <laughs> shy um, I was just, you know, public speaking, as Jamie mentioned, was just my worst nightmare. Um, 
but it's really it's something that uh, it's a role that I've kind of grown into. You see, now I'm I'm now I'm the managing director of, of the the, the comp of my own company. Um, I regularly travel to conferences and and have to give up give speeches, pitch projects to people, um, and really you know put 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 the microscope firmly on myself a lot of the time. And it's it's you know it it doesn't always it's not always easy. I'm not going to say that, but it's certainly it's it's very much a part of the job. Um, that I've had to get used to. Because I know you've worked in very senior and you've worked in leadership roles as well. And that is something that, you know, or students, they'll, they'll want to start a career, but a lot of them will aspire to getting into those big decision-making roles. Um, I know you've done all aspects of production as well, so technicalities as well as the creative side. What do you think you really need to be a leader, particularly in the creative sector? Um, I say I can only speak from my experience. Um, as I say, that <laughs> I'm someone that really would have resisted, you know, that leadership, that idea of leadership. But it's kind of something that's evolved um, by by na by nature of, of coming into the industry at the ground floor. You know, I was on the bottom rung of the ladder and I've kind of worked my way up. So I think what's really beneficial about that is that I've learned, I've learned what everyone in the production process does. And I've got a real understanding of what if, of what is required. And um, I'll try not to be too corny, but, you know, so reading up on leadership and things and, you know, my style of leadership is very much it's never asking somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And I'm able to do that. I'm able to put myself in that position more effectively because I've kind of done everything else. I'm not, I've not necessarily done it very well, but I'm always aware of what's required to get a job done and what's required of people. And um Again, we're really corny now, but a, a, a quote from um, that I, I, I use a lot as well is that leadership is it's not about being in charge. It's about taking care of the people who are in your charge. And that's kind of something that we've mm -hmm. always I've, I've sort of and, and the people we work with, we always try and do is that we want to, you know, create create an environment and a company that is fun to work for. First and foremost, we work in kids television where we're, our job is to make children laugh and to make content that 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 you know engages with children it should be fun and mm -hmm. i think i worked for too long in roles and under leaders that really were you know pr pretty unpleasant to work for and and created a, a you know th there's some there can be some toxic environments where there's really a, a a drive on you know you have to get this done in a certain time and if you don't get it done within these hours then you know that's you know you're you're not working hard enough or you're not good enough I think that's not the case is that we're especially at the minute we're working in an environment where the world is changing dramatically you know we're we're finding out now that we don't necessarily need an office we don't necessarily need people to be working within these time frames we've got people working for us now that have children that have got you know complicated lives and we're just trying to be adaptive as leaders to say well you know we're willing to work with you around these problems um mm -hmm. to find to find solutions that that can help because ultimately as long as the work gets done, I don't really care when it gets done. And I think that's, that's a bit of a shift in mindset for a lot of people and that the um, sort of an, an Edwardian approach to uh, industry in that people must be there and they must be doing it so I can see that they're doing it. And if I don't see sweat on their brow, they're not working hard enough, but it's, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and I think sort of just one thing that the, one thing that the creative industry is, is really in need of are leaders because I mean, it, it's it's very much a stereotype, but the creative people are always kind of you know very focused on being creative and not necessarily 
being organized or, or worried about budgets and schedules and things. And I think where, where I come in and where, where, where we need leaders is that we need people to come in and kind of corral that creative energy because what you know, not ever, I would never try and, you know, stymie or, or, you know, pare down the creative energy of a project, but ultimately this is a client driven industry mm-hmm. where we're working for an ad agency or we're working for a broadcaster. They're paying you to make something and they want what they want. And there's no, with the best will in the world, if you think, well, it would be better if this dog had, you know, brown spots and the broadcaster says, you know what, no, the dog's going to have black spots. It's not your call to make. It's not your call. And, and it's not, you know, is that, is that the hill you really want to die on? Is, 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 is the phrase I use a lot. It's like, you know, we, there's, there's a skill to be able to manage the creative process and say, okay, yeah, you could, we can argue over this for three hours, lose three hours of productivity. We're now three hours yeah. behind. That three hours cost us X number of pounds, which now doesn't go on the screen. So it's all about you know managing a creative process and trying to put as much. Our job is to get as much money on the screen as possible. You know, first and foremost. So we really do. We need producers. We need production managers. People that can corral the creative process. And there's very very few creative creatives that have complete luxury to create whatever art they want yeah. with, with no parameters set around them. You will be given a budget to make a 52 part series and the broadcaster will want it delivered on a certain date because it's going in their schedule. It's going, it's been air, they have an air date that's 18 months in advance. And so we have to get there. And, and so really, it's really important that we, you know, plan, you know, we have to plan to the nth degree in terms of, well, if we don't get this script done by this date, then we're not going to have that animatic done. We're not going to get that voice artist who's going to have nothing to record. So we really need people that have got great organization skills, great people skills, because it, mm-hmm. it is a people a people driven industry as well, because as I've mentioned before, you know, it's, we're, we're only as good as the people that work for us. And if those people aren't happy and you know, they're not going to be producing good work and that's going to show on the screen. So a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, working in animation, people always maybe wrongly assume that there, you have to be able to draw or you have to be able to, you know, be able to, um, use, you know, really expensive software and things. If you want to be an animator, yes, but the amount of people that go into making an animated series, you know, we'll have 60, 70 people working on an animated series. We'll have, you say, producers, production managers, production coordinators, we'll have directors, we'll have animators, we'll have designers, we'll have voice artists, we'll have um, technical directors, we'll have editors. Um, so really there's a, there's a huge number of moving parts mm-hmm. in any project. And, you know, sitting at the top of that, the producer has to organize those and has to get people working to the best of their abilities and being happy. Because ultimately that's what, you know, let's say at the end of the day, we're trying to make children laugh. And if we're doing something that, you know, if, if people are unhappy in their job, it, it kind of does come across on the screen. I know it sounds, you know, it, it mightn't sound like, like it would come across on the screen because you're, you're so you can pick up on it. I, I think you can. Because say I've been in the position where you know I have been in, in on projects which haven't had you know necessarily inspirational leaders, mm-hmm. and I think there's a real um, there's a real opportunity for people to come into the creative industries and, and use their creative skills to help make the creative industries stronger. 
Okay, that kind of leads into my next question, actually. Some of it you've already answered. You talked about people skills, you talked about organization. What does you as a leader, and hence a recruiter then, look for someone who's just starting out their journey in the career sector? What skills are you expecting our graduates to have? Um, okay, I'm going to be quite corny about this, but passion is a really good one. You know, in terms of like, mm -hmm. just when, when people contact me, I, I really do look, as much as I look for their qualifications and, and you know, skills that they have, I also look for um, passion and that they've, you know, they've, they've looked at who we are and what we do as a company, and they've seen that there's an opportunity for them to help us. I can see that they've gone away and tried to craft a way towards that. A lot of the time I'll get an email that says, hey, I've just, I've, I've I'd really want to work in animation. Can I have a job? And it's said, well, you know, what, what you need to do is, you know, be, be very focused in what you want to do in the industry and, and go after it and show me that you want to go after it. Show me your passion. And a lot of the time, the portfolio is a really important tool for, for whatever we, you know, we'll get a lot of job. We'll get a lot of applications that come through. But if I can see somebody that has spent time caring about almost like the presentation of what they're putting forward, putting themselves forward. You're, you're an ex whatever you send to me is an extension of yourself. Mm -hmm. If it's a two line email that tells me nothing about you, your skills or experience, then that kind of tells me you don't care enough that, that, this, that this is something you really want to do. If I get an email that's got a CV, it's got a link to your portfolio, it's got you know details of, of work experience you've done or courses that you've been on, I get a really good sense of who you are and I, and I, you know, I'm, is, are you going to be somebody that I'm going to want to work with, you know, and, and work really hard with because mm -hmm. there's easier ways to make money. I'm just going to put that out there. There's easier ways to make money than, than, than working in the animation industry. Um, it's hard, um, but it's really rewarding. And we're, we're, we're most people that are in the industry are there because they love it and yeah. they love, you know, making, making content that, that brings you know, laughter and fun to, to audiences. So that has to come across. Yeah, I have to see that in, in, in whatever you put forward um, is sort of the, in, in a nutshell what, what I, I kind of do, because I do get a lot of applications and it's very easy to just get that, get a, get a two line, you know, email and, and dismiss it because you know, I'll, I'll always respond. That's sort of, because I've been in the bottom rung, I, mm -hmm. I will always respond to anyone that gets me because they've taken the time to, to get in touch. But if you are taking the time, really take the time and show me and show the company you're applying to where you'll fit and how that you've worked towards being a good fit for them. Um, and I think that should stand you in good stead. Tim, that's absolutely brilliant. Thank, thank you very much. And thank you for the, the leadership aspect of it as well. Um, we're going to join you again at the end, just briefly, if you, if you don't mind staying around for a more couple of minutes. No more. No problem. Um, chat to you again at the end. Tim, thank you. Appreciate you. your time. Um, the next person we have is Sean. Um, Sean, I am going to get you to introduce yourself, and I'm going to leave it over to you because you have your own slides. Are you happy? No problem, Emma. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, John. Fantastic. Hello, uh, my name is Sean McCaffrey. I am the CEO of Hypixel Studios. Um, I'll just give you a wee bit of my history here. Um, I've been mucking about with games for about 20 years, and it started. Um, yeah, about 20 years ago in the magnet bar of all places between myself and two other individuals. Um, we had an idea, we wanted to make games, we played games, we, we loved all that kind of the scene 
although there was very little of it in Ireland at the time. We formed a company called Torque Interactive. We got some traction on that. We were doing demos for the likes of Havoc, who are a physics middleware company in Dublin, and they're still going strength to strength. They're working with EA and all manner of people right now. We helped those guys with their demos before we actually started developing our own engine, our own engine tech, because we wanted to kind of move into that space. Um, and we were quite successful. We were working with NVIDIA, um, Havoc again, Intel and AMD. We actually did the first 64-bit demo called Dreadnought uh, with AMD. Um, but moving on, we kind of split that group into two. So we took the content guys and a few of the designers, and we formed a company in, in Derry called Darkwater Studios. And we actually released a game called Dollfighter. Now, um, I'm not going to too deeply into it because I, I know we're kind of pushed for time. But that game came about for all the wrong reasons. We had this thing called a publishing agent um, who gave mistakes with a, a weighty tome of a game design and said, hey, guys, if you can make this, uh, we will get you some money. And our board, unfortunately, was made up of businessmen and, and people who weren't really kind of had their pulse in the industry. Yeah, they saw the dollar signs. We went ahead. It tanked, um, which was terrible. Unfortunately, our company broke up, and a few of us went off and formed a casual games company called Black Market Games. And we had one release, which again tanked, unfortunately. But all these are fantastic lessons to learn. Um, I took a bit of a break from industry for a year or two then. Um, but along the way, I'd met a young man called Aaron Donaghy. He decided to stay in the industry, and he ended up working with a bunch of guys called Hypixel Inc., based out of Quebec in um, Canada. Now, what they did was they created was effectively Disneyland in Minecraft. So you connected with your Minecraft client, you typed in an IP address, and you went to this, which is essentially a theme park. And there are lots of the money games you can engage with. Unfortunately, um, Arn was able to convince me to come back into the industry again, <laughs> most to my wife's annoyance. And um, we, we started kind of working together on all these crazy little fun experiences. But Microsoft had just acquired Mojang, the creators of um, Minecraft, and they started enforcing the end user licensing agreement, which changed our world incredibly. It determined how we could make money. We saw revenue drop about 85%. At that stage, and we kind of realized ourselves, right, we're making sandcastles in somebody else's sandpit here. We have no control of our own future. So we decided to take the money where we're making and develop our own game called Hightail. Um, we announced the game in 2018, December 2018, just while we were in negotiations with Riot Games, who later acquired us. And um, yeah, I, I said, I think I said at the start of the video, we have 59 million views. That's a Shocking lie. We have about 58 million views on the trailer. Right, has since acquired us fully. We have an office in Derry and we have about 60, yeah, 68 employees. We got our 68th on Monday. Um, and we are going from strength to strength. We're moving into full production now. And we're going to be looking for lots and lots and lots of people. So uh, adaptability and focus shifting. And the question is put to me, how important is it to keep learning once you finish normal education? When looking at people who are joining us, we kind of value people on three pillars. Their craft skill, basically how effective they are at the job that they're being hired to do. Their work ethic, how hard they're going to work for us, how self-driven they are, which is vitally important. And then their culture, right? And these things are weighted 
kind of on a par with each other, right? The cultural one's important. Over the past five years of the development of Hightail, we have lost five people, which is nothing. We like our staff turnaround is absolutely it's it's negligible at this stage. But what sets people apart when you're coming out of college, which I think is a great foundation, right, for moving into employment, the thing that always and I say always, it sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not. The thing that always sets people apart is the passion. We've heard a chat about how important passion is. It so is. If you are engaged in whatever sort of creative kind of outlet that you're getting into and you're, 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 maybe your degree is based around it, the fact of the matter is doing a degree or doing your education as a, as a foundation, but it's not all, right? If you're engaging with that, like, tech game development, if you're a modder, if you're somebody who's actively engaged with the community, you're going to stand out with somebody who's just done a degree, okay? It's vitally important that you can engage with your focus area as much as you can and talk to as many people as you can and have that passion worn on your sleeve. It's going to teach you an awful lot that unfortunately you won't be able to squeeze into the, the, the remit of the course. Um, as well as that there, you got to think about there's been talk about how broad you should be as well. If you're not entirely sure exactly where you want to go, and let's say those games, um, being a programmer isn't just being a programmer. There are programmers who do AI, programmers who do server networking, they do services and platform, they do physics, they do all these different things. If you can get yourself as much kind of grounding as, as many of those topics as you can, if you're not too sure which one to take, fantastic. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that as you do that and as you engage with communities, you're going to fall in with other people who are doing the same thing and you learn from each other. Um, I'm not taking it away from college education by any such imagination, because I said it is a solid foundation, but I've never met a programmer that didn't say that they learned more in the first six months on the job than they did in the entirety of the university. Now, that sounds quite damning. It's not meant to be. The fact of the matter is, is when you go into a job, you will have a much, much tighter focus. Your university time will give you a broad base of the skill sets you're going to need, right, to kind of move on and, and get on with your career. But when you get into a job, that kind of, that scope kind of becomes a lot more focused. Um, yes, education is preparation, right? But you should look at your subject matter and draw into it as much as you can with as many people as you can, right? It's something that we look for and something that time and time again proves that you know, if you have the passion, you can show to have been doing stuff in that space outside of your education, you have a much, much better chance of being employed. Right, so skills acquired by us in the next few years. Um, these are not the only things that we need to make a game. Publishing, art, tech, design, operations, production, and audio. These are all areas that we're actively hiring. Well, publishing will come in a few months' time. Operations, probably in a few months' time as well. What's not listed here is also QA, quality assurance, which we are actively hiring for, and the positions are in dairy. Our company is a little bit unique, right? We have a basis of operations in dairy, in Patrick Street, in the old city factory. Beautiful building that we can't go near, unfortunately. But um, um, yeah, COVID has been a, a blast. But the fact of the matter is, is Hypixel is for the vast majority of people, a remote company. We have people from as far east as New Zealand, all the way around to the west coast of America, right? 
the pandemic has affected us, like it has affected everybody in terms of not being able to go outside. But as far as our productivity is concerned, it's been a marginal impact at best because we are completely used to working remotely. It's how I started in this company and it fits like a globe for, for the vast majority of people, even our QA. So um, as we're moving forward, we will be, as, as I said, we are actively hiring and anybody who's going to end up in the area of us will start on a remote basis. Um, the ones we're looking at most closely at the moment are operations in terms of, I think we're looking for a system administrator. Whoa, buzzing. Um, a lot about production and QA. I think are the, the, the roles that we're looking at mostly. No, I don't know. Oh, you're muted. Can't hear you, Emma. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's working. Oh, I did get you a little bit upset about not being able to get into the building at the moment. Um, thank you so much for your time. Are you okay to stick around for a couple of minutes? We can grab it at the end. Yeah. Brilliant. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for that. Uh, our last panelist is Rebecca, uh, who's waiting very patiently. Rebecca, hi. Hi. Uh, lovely to see you today. Um, Rebecca, I'm going to hand over to you and I'm going to let you um, share your own slides at the moment, okay? No worries. No worries. Thanks very much. So yeah, my name's Rebecca Davis, and um, as I said earlier, I'm a, a freelance filmmaker. Um, and I suppose it took me a while to sort of <laughs> give myself like a title. Um, I don't work for a company um, since graduating in 2015. I've had a variety of different roles, um, and my aim has always been to be a writer and director. It's one of my long-term goals to direct uh, a feature film. Um, and I'm here today to talk about inspiring action. And I suppose it's it's good to bear in mind that I'm talking about this from a writing and directing point of view. Um, but I do think a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about are applicable to other creative industries. So that might include uh, drama, theatre, acting, um, gaming, um, you know, writing, poetry, literature, e anything. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you get some um, good stuff from all this. Um, the, fir the first thing I talk about is um, to keep updated. And it took me a while since graduating to kind of realise how many companies there are in Northern Ireland that are wanting to help um, young creatives get into the industry. And for me personally, the, the biggest one has been Northern Ireland Screen. Um, they have funded several short films of mine and, um, you know, it's great that they give money to, to filmmakers to make short films to sort of see what they can do. But the biggest thing that I have gotten from them is support. And I have a lot of um, friends in the industry, fellow graduates that would say the same thing, that uh, Northern Iron Screen is a great company to um, keep in touch with. And it is as easy as just going onto their website. Um, so they are brilliant at keeping their website up to date with uh, crew calls. 
with uh, funding schemes, with short film schemes, with um, uh, like placements and opportunities. So one thing I would say to people that have just recently graduated is just go on to Northern Ireland Screen's website, make that part of your uh, weekly routine. I would say I go on Northern Ireland Screen's website about about four or five times a week because they are constantly updating their website. Um, and even if you follow them on Twitter or Facebook um, or even Instagram, they put all of that um, same stuff I just talked about on all their social media pages. Um, so whether you want to uh, make a short film or you want to progress in the camera department or the makeup department, they have schemes that support trainees in the industry. Um, so they've, they've been good for me because um, uh, they have helped me secure uh, several director trainee programs. So this is something that I think is uh, relatively new, um, that they have this like rolling director shadowing scheme. Um, I think at the minute you have to have two uh, funded short films to be uh, eligible for the scheme. So um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a good place to get your first film funded. Um, so keep up to date with the wrong screen. And same thing, applies to screen skills and things like uh, the BAFTA newsletter. Um, because of COVID, I actually uh, got uh, sort of signed up for their newsletters. And as a consequence, I learned about um, uh, all these Zoom uh, Q&As that they were hosting. Uh, I attended as, as many as I could, but if you just sign up for their newsletters, you will get emails to your inbox and they'll tell you about things that are happening, opportunities that are happening, network opportunities. And another thing I would suggest is to watch films that are made here. Uh, I think it's important to keep up to date with local films that are made by local filmmakers. Um, it's good to know who's making these films because you might meet them someday. And I've known people that have met filmmakers have said oh I saw that film that you made and then they've gotten a job because they were able to say oh I loved that film I thought it was great etc etc um, and it's good to see how films can be made in Northern Ireland um, and as what's great about these um, Northern Ireland screen skills etc is that they will talk about films that are um, that have been made here and where they're screening and I, I just think it's important um, apply to everything. I, I think you should apply for everything, even if you don't think your idea is really strong or not fully developed or formed, apply for everything because it will give you experience applying to things. It will give you experience with the application forms. It will help you uh, articulate an idea. It'll help you try and get an idea across. You know, it's a, if, if it's a visual idea, you're trying to get it into written form to try and excite the, the panelists. So even if you don't think your idea is absolutely fantastic or you don't think it's good enough, still apply for it. I've applied for all these things listed and I've only got into two of them, but I felt like I learned so much about myself and what I wanted to make from applying to the things that I didn't get into as well. Um, these things, again, will always be advertised on Northern Ireland Screen's website they will always tell you when these schemes are opening. The BBC Two Minute Masterpiece is the one that I would suggest to filmmakers that have just left Queens that want to get their first funded film. So to give you um, an, a small amount of money to make a two minute film, but it's really good 
because it's your first time experiencing a little bit of funding to make something. Um, so yeah, apply to everything. Um, and as well as that, attend events. And I, I worked for the Bel Belfast Women's Festival and for, for Docs Ireland for um, several years. And it meant that I was constantly surrounded by filmmakers, producers, um, industry experts. And because I'm absorbing information and listening to people talk and watching films that are not just from the UK and Ireland, but from across the water, you learn so much about uh, filmmaking. It's a universal thing. You know, everyone wants to make films for the same sort of reason, to entertain, to educate, to inspire. Um, I do suggest that you attend events, you put yourself out there, you go to networking events after these film festivals, because um, I, I feel like I any Q&A I go to, I learn something from it. I'm, I'm still young, you know, I still um, inexperienced to a certain extent. Um, I don't think there's going to be a point where I'm ever going to stop learning about filmmaking. And it's something that I'm really interested in. And I find that uh, attending these events, you just absorb so much creative energy and you get speaking to people and you get networking and you get to see these local films that I'm talking about and meet the filmmakers. And it's just a really, really good hub to get into. Um, this is something that I'm not very good at myself, but it's something that I read in this uh, book it's called A Little Black Book. It's a toolkit for working women, but I would suggest that anyone who's in the creative industries get it. My boyfriend got it. It's not just for women, but basically one of the chapters is on how to promote yourself. And um, this book suggests things like having the same profile picture across all of your social media pages so that people know that it's you when they go onto Twitter, Instagram to, to search for you. Um, I recently made uh, what I'm calling like a professional Instagram. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, so I make visual material and content. So um, I use my professional Instagram to take some screenshots of things that I've made and then put them online. And, you know, it looks good. And uh, I know people that have gotten work from their Instagram. People have seen something posted about and thought, I really like what this guy or girl's done. And then they get in touch. And I, I know so many people that have gotten a job through Instagram. So I think it's important to, I try and treat Instagram now like it's a job. I, I'm not a big fan of posting things and um, I'm not really into social media that much, but I'm trying to use it as a, a tool to promote my work, to get myself more work, to let people know what I'm doing. Um, and I sort of try and post, you know, maybe once a month, something like that. If I've created something recently, I try and post about it. Um, another thing I'd suggest is if you feel like you've got enough, uh, uh, enough sort of material, um, get a website. Um, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the world that would want to help you out. Um, and your CV as well. Get your CV updated every time you've got a new credit. Um, and lastly, develop your skills. So read uh, from doing loads of Zoom workshops. Uh, Directing Actors by Judith Wetson was recommended to me at least 10 times. Read this book, uh, research things that are in your, that are interesting to you and get yourself uh, some material that you can read, that you can absorb. Um, practice your craft, do things that are gonna help you develop what you want to do. I want to be a writer director, but I also love cinematography uh, and I want to be a self-shooting director at some point. So I tried to get myself a variety of camera trainee 
uh, credits. And I would also say, listen. So try not to talk about yourself so much when you're meeting people. Listen to them, see what they have to say, um, and engage in people, absorb information that they have to say. Um, because you're, you know, the one trying to get a job or a, a experience here. So listen to other people, see what they have to say, and then that relationship can hopefully develop. I think that's been done. <laughs> Rebecca, that was brilliant. I wasn't expecting oh. to leave for the freedom list. Freedom <laughs> heading to the library after this. Um, can I possibly ask all the panelists to come back just for a quick moment just at the end? Guys, thank you so much. Um, I think we'll have to go and take notes on some of this. Um, I just want to ask you quickly, just as we finish up, in one sentence, what advice would you give to a Queen's student who wants to work in the creative industries here? What would you just say? This is what I would really advise you to do. Jamie, do you want to go for it first? Yeah, um, I think all the panelists kind of covered this slightly, but uh, I think it's really important to get yourself out there. Um, like the job isn't going to fall from the sky. I think whenever I graduated, I felt intimidated in talking to people and even, you know, talking to lecturers, talking to people in an ice cream, talking to potential employers. But when you strip it all back, they're all people just like you. Uh, so don't be intimidated and just go in there and say what you have to say and, you know, see if you can strike up a relationship and, and leave with the job. Brilliant, Jimmy. Thank you. Tim, what would you add? Yeah, sure. That sentiment exactly. Almost word for word is get your, get, get yourself out there. If, if there's a job out there that you want, I'm a, I'm a perfect example of it. I wanted to get into animation. I had zero experience and I just went out and, and through a lot of the things that all the panelists have said, especially with Rebecca, promote yourself absorb everything you can possibly can about the industry. You know, Northern Ireland Screen is a fantastic resource and I can't, you know, we wouldn't be in business without them. So get onto that website. They're really here to help people get into the industry. So, but promote yourself. Whenever you're approaching the companies, you know, put, put forward the best version of yourself in terms of, you know, researching what they are, what you want to do, um, so that it's, it's easy for them to see where you'll, you'll fit within the organization. Brilliant. Thank you. Sean? Uh, yes, it's it's much the same again. Um, use your education as a basis for, for your employability, but you need to get involved with communities. You need to put your name out there. I have to say again, having worked with NS Screen on a number of occasions as well, they're a great resource, not just for people who are in the middle of doing something, but people who are looking to do something as well. So yeah, that again, top marks. Brilliant. Thanks, Sean. Rebecca? Um, yeah, I think much the same, but I think um, a way in which you can try and make yourself stand out a little bit is that if you have emailed an individual or a company to tell them about yourself or to try and uh, find an opportunity, give them a call after. Um, I find that this has helped me quite a lot. It's very easy to send an email but I think it's so much better if you can send an email and then pick the phone up after just to ring that person and say, I've sent you an email. Uh, look, I'm really interested in da -da 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 -da, a bit about yourself because I think it's a lot more personal. It's a lot more, it's different. You know, I think people are used to getting lots of emails through, but if you get a phone call from someone and you can attach a voice to that email, I think that's a lot more powerful than just sending out emails, it's easy to do that, but I think seek a little bit of discomfort, do something that scares you a little bit or frightens you a little bit, 
and it's such an easy thing to do is pick up the phone but i guarantee as soon as you start speaking to that person you'll be glad that you did that like pick up the phone after you send an email that's my advice <laughs> brilliant thank you i think we could do a whole session on seek discomfort as well 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. guys thank you so much i really genuinely appreciate your time today um i'm gonna just close off the session um thank you so much um yeah Thank you, and I'll chat to you all again soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. You have been listening to Find Your Future, a podcast from careers, employability, and skills at Queen's University Belfast. For more career helps and advice, visit go.qb.ac.uk slash careers.